The governor delivered her uh, budget address uh, yesterday, about $227 billion worth. Uh, here to help me break down is the fine New York State Senator Anthony Palumbo, representing the uh, first uh, senatorial. And uh, we welcome him. We wish you a happy New Year. I don't know if I've done that yet. Good to have you, sir. Uh, you know, I found, uh, I found some flaws in this, uh, in, in this budget especially uh, for what it means to Long Islanders, who once again, in my estimation at least, I don't know if you agree or not, uh, once again get the short end of the stick here, Senator Palumbo. Am I wrong in that? Well, I don't think you are, Jay, and thanks for having me. Happy New Year. We may have spoken. I'm not sure either. Um, But um, it just seems very out of touch, um, sadly. And, you know, Everyone said, well, in an incredible show of, of courage, she didn't increase taxes again. When meanwhile, we're the highest tax area in the nation. So that's not a really bold thing to do. Our tax revenues are up. We have an, an, a surplus of $8 billion with a B. Because we did tax so much, we, you may recall, and I voted against it a few years ago, um, the, uh, the it, Taxes were increased on the wealthy and increased, generally speaking, so that in New York City, you know, you pay about 16% more than you do in some of these other states like Florida. Um, And that's the reason why we lost a million residents. So increasing taxes on businesses is still a tax increase on the little guy. And this is where I say it's completely out of touch. She's increasing payroll taxes. Um, on businesses um, that have revenues over, I guess, a, about a million, million five um, gross revenue. And she increases in taxes on cigarettes, which will likely detrimentally affect some of the Native American na- nations that are in my district, like Shinnecock, Puspatuck, um, possibly even the Montaukets. She vetoed my bill to recognize the Montaukets. Um, the housing requirements that are requiring and mandating um, increase in, in density and in, in, in zoning, uh, modify, modifications to zoning to increase density around train stations. That's almost all of Nassau County. And if you look at a map, um, Senator Jack Martins and I were talking about it yesterday. He pulled up a map with this radius around train stations. And it's almost all of Nassau County has to increase their housing density um, you know, to, to really what um, are exorbitant numbers when you think about it. And, uh, you know, for me, my district is so dynamic from Stony Brook to Montauk, increasing housing density to the, in, in the, to the extent that she's mandating um, in some of these areas, even though it may seem like a small percentage, say 3% increase in housing stock, with all the open space on the east end, that may increase density by 25%. So, again, painting with broad strokes like she does in this budget for the entire state is just not appropriate. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, I just think that there's a bit, no better way to say it than, uh, than out of touch. I mean, she's, she's, in, she's going to hurt more Long Islanders um, to the benefit of New York City. She won New York City in her election with huge numbers. Um, our congressman, Lee Zeldin, Needed, it got 30% in New York City. So 70% of New Yorkers seem to like 
the high tax nature and high crime nature of New York. Um, so she's just going with it. It's really just more of a plan to get her reelected, in my opinion. There's two things here. We're talking with Senator Anthony Palumbo on the on the budget. Two things that really kind of uh, get to me here, Senator. One is the MTA. The other one is Kathy Hogan wants to increase the transit tax. You know, the state levies on most of these businesses in our region. Right now, I think the state levies are, what, 0.3, something like that, 0.3 tax on, on some of the payrolls, and that's going to increase. She wants to raise that. So that's one. Two, I got a problem with the MTA. They ne- The MTA can't fight its way out of a paper bag. Uh, they've got a, uh, they need a, a bailout. I re- always remember years ago, you know, the $12 billion bailout. We got a surplus here. We got a surplus of $8.7 billion. Use some of the money there. You know, I, I just don't understand why the MTA is never held accountable for their own actions. I mean, they threaten to increase uh, these fares every other year, no matter what. And yet they cry all the time. Ridership is down. We know some of the offices have not come back over the pandemic and everything else. But, man, I'll tell you, I mean, it's it's all the time with this MTA. And they are never held accountable for their own types of deals. And that's a terrific point. And that's exactly the point, that we're now going to have Long Islanders again. They tried this many years ago. And uh, it didn't go very well for them. And uh, and the Republican Senate became a Republican Senate again. Um, they, uh, they lost the majority. But now we have seven of the nine senators are Republican on Long Island. I'm one of them. So they're just hanging out two of the Democrat members to dry. But they have such a large supermajority because of New York City. Um, I think they almost don't care that we're going to stick it to Long Islanders. We're going to almost double that tax. It's 0.34. It's going to go to a half of a, it's go to 0.5. So instead of 34 cents per 100, it's going to be 50 cents. But that's an additional $800 million that's going to go only to the MTA. And that's what, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's the most poorly run business. There's zero accountability. And you think in Senate District 1, we're gonna get. A, we're gonna see a lot of that revenue out by me in the Hamptons, the North Fork, and in Northern Brookhaven. Really, I, I think it's the likelihood of it that it, uh, that we'll get any return on our money is zero, and that's really the concern. That uh, you know we're funding these subways where, thanks to the shutdown, thanks to everything that they've done on the sub on the transit side. Um, the infrastructure is awful in New York City. People are getting pushed in front of subways and stabbed. We saw a poll about a week or so ago, 93% of New Yorkers of all stripes think that uh, crime is a problem and ridership is way down and stuff and, and, and the subway as a result. So that's the one side of it, that she wants to dump more money in, give them a blank check, let them just go nuts and do whatever. With the uh, with their overall budget, and then you have businesses who haven't recovered from the pandemic, who are still in dire straits. Many of them have closed permanently, and you're going to you're going to stick it to them even further. You're going to raise taxes on businesses. It's again, it's it's just 
the easiest and most applicable phrase is out of touch. How is this a good idea? Let's not also forget another aspect of that budget, Jay, where he's indexing minimum wage to inflation. So the $15 minimum wage that is crushing businesses, that's roughly $32,000, $33,000 a year. So my buddy right here on the North Fork, who owns a hardware store, has to pay a high school kid to stock shelves at an entry-level position $32,000 a year in order to comply with the, with the mandates of state law. Now, inflation is going to go up. His costs will be what they are cost of doing business, cost of buying goods, his costs are going to go up. And his payroll costs are going to go up with it. Um, Mandate. And think about it this way. If we're going to increase wages and index them with inflation, when inflation goes down, do you think that a business owner is actually going to go to the employee and say, hey, look, the economy's bounced back, um, so we're going to cut you by another dollar. So I know we just increased it a month or two ago, and you're or maybe a year or two ago, and you relied on that increase in wages, I'm now going to have to bring it back down. That's not reality. That's out of touch. That's not what's going to happen. Or if it does happen, that employee is going to say, well, you know what, um, thanks so much, because the job market is wide open. We can't get people in Senate District 1 to go to work. We have restaurants that aren't opening sometimes, even during the summer, for some, for some days because they just can't get staff. They just can't, can't find people to work. So if you would actually have a conversation with the people on the front line who are these business owners, small business owners, um, then you would realize that this is an awful idea. And to give it to MTA is just an additional slap in the face. Um, I'm really disappointed. And there are going to need to be some really significant changes when we put out our budget. But unfortunately, we have the, the inmates running the asylum in the Senate and the Assembly because we have a very progressive supermajority of Democrats who only care about New York City. So they're going to smile and say, this is a great idea. Let's make Long Island pay for our needs once again. It's awful. Ridiculous. You know, and, and, the, and again, it just it just eats at me. You know, this MTA stuff, you know, with a five, five and a half percent fare increase or something of that nature. You know, they're going to raise uh, at least expected two hundred million dollars this year, three hundred million next year. I mean, why can't this governor use new money from her uh, various tax hikes and wipe out the increased fare hike that are coming our way here? You know, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, listen, she increases education spending all the time, right? That's always increased. This year, the same thing. I, I just don't understand that. I really don't. Uh, and the other thing, you know, from yesterday, Senator, is, uh, you know, nothing really uh, accentuated as far as the bail stuff. You know, she talks about judges, but really... You know, and I always say the three things that are non-negotiable. Uh, one is giving judges full discretion. You know, let's let's call it as it is. Give them their powers back, for crying out loud. Nothing short of it. Nothing short of it. The other thing has to do with discovery. I say that all of the time. This is basic framework. This is like non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned. You know, the... 
discovery stuff, slashing the rest of it to a level that these labs and prosecutors can at least manage in a timely manner. And then on disclosure, you know, you have to reverse the presumption of rapid disclosure of victim and witness information for obvious reasons. You know, there, there is nothing here but dangling a carrot without fully explaining what it means. It is a bunch of nonsense here, and until she shows something uh, in full, it'll mean nothing. It really won't. Yesterday was a prime example. You know, with her proposal, um, when you really get into the weeds a little bit with it, we had a, a hearing on Monday about the data. And uh, there was actually an article I read yesterday where the Manhattan DA missed some deadlines on a high-profile case against a police officer and had to dismiss it. But we saw the numbers from DCJS, and I said it when they implemented all these reforms. I said, you know what's going to happen? They're going to make this so burdensome on police and prosecutors that the numbers are actually going to go down because police officers are going to have no morale. They're going to be so disappointed with the job. They're hiring now. Nobody wants to be a cop anymore. A lot of the hirees are people now with criminal records, and you really don't have the, um, you know, the, the greatest bunch who are willing to take the job. So the, the quality of job of, of, of employee is degrading. And the numbers from DCJS, the Department of Criminal Justice Services, from uh, 2021, 2022, everything is up. All crimes are up. As far as complaints, convictions are about the same. Dismissals have almost doubled. They have in New York City misdemeanors, because New York City actually keeps very good records because of the, the ComStat, I guess Bill Bratton, um, made a, it really tightened that up many years ago, and they keep very accurate statistics. 71% of cases are dismissed, um, most of them. 54% of them for misdemeanors are dismissed after they're charged um, for other reasons, not because it's covered by another plea, like they have a bunch of cases, you plea to one, we'll dismiss the rest, not for a bargain for disposition where they're giving you something like an adjournment in contemplation of dismissal. They'll say, stay in trouble for six months, then we'll dismiss it. These are flat-out dismissals more than half. So think about that. And this is misdemeanors. And for felonies, the numbers were, I believe, were in the mid 30 So that's saying, when a police officer finally does arrest someone for a crime, for a misdemeanor, more than half of them are thrown out for technical mistakes or other reasons. And a third of felonies. So are, are these cops all making false arrests? Or are they just throwing cases out because you have people like Alvin Bragg who just don't care and they want to make a statement politically? that, you know, because the system is so racist, we're just going to let people walk. Now, I'm a former prosecutor. I don't think that we need to hammer every single person. You do work out deals. But those are when you give people voluntarily. You're not dismissing the case for other technical reasons. You're actually working a plea bargain. And that those dismissals tell me those are discovery violations. So that's part of the nuance. Everyone wants to talk about bail reform. I get it. We don't have pretrial detention in New York. Um, that's a problem, and I had a problem with it then. I debated it on the floor when I was still in the assembly. Um, it's, it's awful stuff that is really making life more dangerous. So not giving judges discretion. She, her, she did propose reducing 
um, or, or removing the least restic- restrictive language from the statute, which would make a moderate, slight difference. But the Senate's not going to go for it. We were at that hearing, and they were they were going on and on and on. Virtually everyone on that side of the aisle, all the Democrats, were saying, numbers look the same to me, everything's working, so nothing to see here. And I said, but despite the fact you have night withers perceived or reality, I know it's reality from looking closely at those numbers, but either one, 93% of New Yorkers think you're lying. They don't believe you, Democrats. So they feel that these have gotten them Re-elected into a supermajority just a few months ago, they have not, They have no problem continuing with with business as usual, um, and it will be to the detriment of us. And the governor governor proposed forty million dollars um, into a fund that will help hire more prosecutors. A couple hundred prosecutors in a state of twenty million is not going to make a difference. That's about what that that's what that amounts to. Um, but again, it's it, it's a press release. It's her saying, I'm doing the right thing, and then when the Senate doesn't do it, she can claim to be a moderate. But we all know from the Silver versus Pataki case, this is the only leverage the governor has for the rest of the year, which is the budget process. And quite frankly, she wants to be the kinder, gentler governor because she thought Andrew Cuomo was a bully, which was, which he was, which he was. But he threw his weight around to get his agenda taken care of, um, instead, I believe that she's going to be run roughshod over, as we've seen with the judicial nominee for the Court of Appeals, uh, for Chief Judge, that uh, she's lost control. And uh, unfortunately, this budget tells me that uh, that that unfortunately is going to continue. And, you know, you say softer and gentler, and she was, you know, right at the start of the year by giving the state ledger a race. Not that you don't deserve one, Senator Foreman, you do. Uh, but you would like to have at least seen some sort of a negotiation. Yeah, we could talk pay raise. Let's talk bail, you know. And the problem is, as long as you have Hasty and Stuart Cousins there, nothing will ever get done. Nothing will ever get done. I mean, Andrew Stewart Cousins doesn't believe in the recidivism rates. She doesn't believe it. She thinks it's like 2% of those who are back out on the streets committing those crimes again, where it's a lot higher. We know that. 30, 40, 40%. We know that. This is from a leading DA out of Queens and Jim Quinn, who was on this program, stated it. She is completely misinformed. Completely misinformed. And the other thing is, you know, I mean, there's... A story out today, it's a crazy one, where you have a pair of ex-cons finally could be facing federal charges. That's the only way you get these guys to stick in jail. After allegedly carrying out this two-hour armed robbery spree across the city a couple of days ago, you had a dramatic chase, both ending in custody. One of them yells out, I'll be back out on the street. They know the law. They know what's going on. They know the softness of these DAs as far as they'll be able to get back on the streets. Nothing's being done about it. And especially, you know what really gets me is the raise the age stuff. You know, I mean, Kathy Hochul has done nothing regarding criminal activity, regarding uh, under 18s. You know, Uh, and I'm talking 16 to 17 year olds. This is what this law does. It keeps these people from facing serious consequences which took effect, what, three or four years ago. And you look at the numbers. Under 18 shooters more than doubled in the city. 
as did those struck by gunfire who were teenagers. Did I hear anything regarding this this type of law in the uh, in the budget yesterday? No. This is what I mean. It's you know it's just failing to recognize the obvious fixes that need to be done. You know, and yet she still wants more funding to help prosecutors deal with the these rules for gathering and sharing evidence. And she refuses to fix these things. And that's why you have these DAs right now uh, dropping cases left and right. You know, I mean, listen, Alvin Bragg's a whole nother story. Uh, but this is the thing. And, you know, anybody who thought, one final point here, anybody who thought that Kathy Hochul would change based on on the election and everything else over uh, Lee Zeldin, who made it, you know, this was the biggest point. And he was right. You know, and, and she thought everything was just hype, you see. Remember that whole thing? She thought everything was, was being, uh, you know, accentuated to the point of, like, nonsense when this was brought up by Zeldin. But look at, I mean, nothing, nothing in her presentation about this. That's the thing that gets me. Yeah, and, and you know, during Lee Zeldin's race, um, she knew that was a problem, that was a growing problem, and she had to blow it off. She kept trying to push, kick the can down the road, push it aside, there's nothing to see here, um, because she was getting hurt by it. And in a state where there are more registered independents than Republicans, right? We've got, I think, 22% registered Republicans, 23% registered independents, and just and right under 50% registered Democrats. In a state where you should be able to run a mug of coffee as a Democrat, um, and they win, she almost lost. Because, one, Lee Zeldin was a great candidate. He knows the issues. He knows how to govern. Um, and number two, she just thought she could run the clock out after she won her primary and get elected. And she almost didn't. And that's really the point. And it's funny that you mentioned the... Um, the, the youth statistics, we have the chief of the New York City Police Department on, and uh, he said, you know, the most alarming aspect of this is we average more than really one a day, a shooting where it's either a victim or a shooter is a youth. Those numbers have doubled, more than doubled, in New York City alone, and that's alarming to everyone. I asked the DCJS people, I said, so... Can you show me where the statistics are about family court cases? Because if you have a loaded handgun and you're 17, you go to family court. Oh, we didn't include those. Oh, really? You didn't think those were important because of raised the age? Exactly what you said, Jay. And uh, you know what? Maybe we can uh, maybe we can have you advise the government because you're, you're giving some really good some really good points here that she doesn't seem to want to listen to. But that's another that's another statistic that these statistics do speak volumes. Um, I said that on Monday, um, if you actually look at the right ones, because we had them talking about, well, overall arrests and overall crime and, and convictions are basically what they were at, at uh, 20, 2017 level. And, but if you stretch it out and you look over a 10-year trend, um, they're strikingly up. And, you know, they blame the pandemic about on it. The numbers for the first two and a half months of 2020, right before you know, before the shutdown, before the quote-unquote pandemic hit, everything was trending upward. And all of those 
those new policies took effect on January 1 of 2020. So they were bailed out, excuse the pun, uh, by the pandemic to use that as an excuse. And then they say there's absolutely zero proof that our reforms have to do with it because crime is up in Illinois and in Chicago and L.A. and Baltimore, all these other very progressive cities. Um, they didn't implement the exact same reforms that we did. But really, the, the big one when it comes to statistics was uh, the discovery reform, which you mentioned. So, you know, they're very cute with the numbers. Um, and unfortunately, it tells a different story. But the story that fits their narrative can also be conflated into those numbers. And I think that's where they're going, sadly. You know, Senator, the bottom line is uh, progressives, they just don't want any change. That's what it is. They just don't want to adhere to the notion that they have been wrong. And until we have that different mindset, or as I say, get them the hell out of office, we'll never fix it, unfortunately. I know you're fighting uh, for it all, and at least uh, that is a sensible thing to do, without question. Always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, We await the next. And by the way, we've reached out. Through Governor Hochul, many a time, especially during the campaign trail, uh, on deaf ears, unfortunately. We will keep trying. We don't give up here. You know that. You know, it's funny. As a lieutenant governor, she would call us, you know, when it comes to cutting a ribbon for a, a new butterfly arboretum. But when it comes to tough topics like this, let's have a discussion at least, sensible one. We always have that with you, and we appreciate that, my friend. 